this morning, we are going to be wrapping up our series in Exodus. And boy, it's been a long road, hasn't it? Uh, it's, it was a long road for us. It's a long road for the Israelites. They, they went from Egypt to the completion of the tabernacle. Um, quite a long journey. And um, almost half of the book has been leading up to this moment, the finishing of the tabernacle, the presence of God, the glory of God filling the tabernacle that we're going to see this morning. It's all been leading up to this, uh, really 20 chapters heading toward this exact moment. And, and it's intentional. It's intentional that it's taken this long, that Moses really took his time in writing this, uh, in really writing out all of the instructions and writing out all of the detail of the construction. All of these things have been intentional because he doesn't want us to miss the significance. The form in, 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 this, in this case, the form of the writing, is part of the message. Part of the message is the fact that this has all been leading up to this epic moment when God's glory is going to fill the tabernacle. Um, it, we can't miss the significance of that and how important it is that God dwelling with his people is part of his creation intent. And it's partially fulfilled here. It's partially fulfilled in us, in God's indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, and it will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus returns and creates the new heavens and the new earth. So let's see this moment this morning. We'll start off with completion. We're going to start actually at the end of, of chapter 39 and go through um, verse 15 of chapter 40. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen. The ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, its the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting. The finely worked garments for the ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons for their service as priests. According to all that Yahweh had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it as Yahweh had commanded. So they had done it. So they had done it. Then Moses blessed them. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it. You shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. You shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up all the court for all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. 
You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin in its stand and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall wash them with water. And put, Aaron the, and put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them. And anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. All right, so we have the completion um, of all of these elements, but it's important that we remember they're, they've just been built in, in all of their component parts, but they've not been put together. Right? The, so the Israelites bring all of the tabernacle elements to Moses for inspection. Um, and he must have been thrilled to find that they had done exactly as God had commanded them. It was probably a bit of a letdown for Moses um, because he, he'd seen the, the true tabernacle um, when God showed him the design, but God had that they had obeyed God in everything. They had done exactly what God had commanded. They had, they didn't follow their own plans or their own ideas. If they thought as they were building it, well, I think it would be more efficient if we did it this way, or I think it would be, um, you know, I think it'd be better if we did it this way. They just did it exactly as God had commanded them. And that's a challenge for us, really. The, the way that this construction has gone should be a challenge for us as we think about how we do things. Because we often want to stray from God's plan and do things our own way. We often want to do what we think is best, what we think is right, instead of looking to God's word and deciding what he thinks is best. And, and we have to know that there will be a final inspection on all that we have done uh, in our lives. God will ultimately judge um, and even even if we're saved from the, the judgment of sin, um, I think that we're, we're going to have some moments of realizing where we've strayed off of God's path, where we did things our own way instead of God's way. But thankfully, we're covered with the grace and mercy of Jesus so that, that he has forgiven us our sins and forgiven us even these small rebellions. But, but I, I want to be able to stand before God and say, I tried in everything that I did to do things your way. And I think that ultimately you, you want that too. And so it's important that we do try to do things God's way instead of our own way. And you might think about in your own life, when have you um, intentionally followed God's plan instead of your own plan? Because there should be moments in your life that you can think of where you say, I had a choice and I chose to do things God's way instead of my own way. Um, but if that's not a reality in your life, if you can't say, no, I never really had a moment like that where I made the intentional decision to follow God's plan, then, then maybe you're not. That's, that's just a, a, something to consider in your own life, that if that's never been a struggle for you, you may just be doing things your own way instead of following God's way. So they actually have move-in day, right? The Israelites have a day scheduled to erect the tabernacle and move all of the elements in. And at this point, it's, it's essentially a Lego kit, right? They have all of the pieces, and they just have to put them together um, the way that they're meant to be put together. Um, they have to follow the instructions and, and put it together the way that God said. And they're going to do so on, on the first day of the first month. That's move-in day, the first day of the first month. Um, and it, it, there might be something ringing in your head of a, what is significant about the first month? What's, what's significant? What's important about that? Well, if you remember, this is the month when the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover is celebrated. 
that in Exodus chapter 12, if we go back, it says, In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. That was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, and, and it also is the month that they left Egypt. When they left Egypt, if we remember as well, if we think back, God said, this shall be the first month for you. This shall be the first month. You, your calendar is starting over. We remarked on that when we, were, when we were looked at the Exodus itself, that God says, this is, this is, we're starting fresh from this moment that you're leaving um, Egypt, that this moment of Exodus is the first day of the first month for you. And so they, their calendar is reset by that event. And so now they're starting over here. The feast starts on the 14th day. Um, we can see, so erecting the tabernacle on the first day means that it'll be ready in time to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. We also see that they're told they're going to anoint everything in the tabernacle. They're going to put it all together and then they're going to anoint everything in the tabernacle, marking it as holy, as sacred, as ready for God. They'll also anoint Aaron and his sons. And, and we know the consecration process, right? He says that they're going to consecrate him. If we think back to the consecration process that God implemented. That itself will take seven days. Once they erect the tabernacle, it'll take seven days to consecrate the priests. And Aaron and his sons will be consecrated. And so they'll also be consecrated in time for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, they'll, they'll be ready and consecrated by the time it's ready to celebrate this first um, Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So if we continue here, we can see the actual construction, the actual uh, erection of the tabernacle itself. In verses 16 through 33, it says this, This Moses did according to all that Yahweh had commanded, so he did. I'll pause real quick and just note that in this passage you can see again, over and over again, as was when we talked about the actual building of the elements themselves, is this phrase is repeated where it says, all that, all that Yahweh commanded him, so he did, or all that Yahweh commanded them, so they did, is repeated over and over again to emphasize the point that their obedience to God here is perfect, that they are in fully intending to and executing perfect obedience to what God has told them to do. That's crucial. That's crucial as we move through this. In the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put, it, put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before Yahweh as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before Yahweh as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as Yahweh had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as Yahweh had commanded Moses. 
He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. First thing I want you to notice here is just in the very, very beginning of this passage, it says in verse 17, in the first month in the second year. What this implies or what this tells us is that everything else that's happened so far happened in the first year. Since they left Egypt, all of these events have taken one year to complete. That's a lot. That's a big year. Even in a year that we've had where so many things have happened, um, this is even bigger where they've had so many big events. They had uh, the Red Sea, the cro- crossing the Red Sea on dry land. They had uh, the manna from heaven that God provided for them, where God brought water from the rock for them, um, where Yahweh descended on Mount Sinai and spoke to them, told them the Ten Commandments, where they received those, where the covenant was confirmed, remember, and they had a meal with him where Moses through the blood of the covenant upon them and upon the, um, the altar, where Moses then went up onto Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and we came back down. They've, they've started worshiping this golden calf, um, and then there's this waiting period where they're, they're waiting to, to see if, if God is going to continue a relationship with them or not, and then Moses goes back up on Mount Sinai again to receive the new tablets, then he comes back down and they begin the tabernacle construction. All of these things happen in the course of one year. That's a big year for them. Another thing we see in this passage is that it, it repeatedly talks about Moses doing these things, right? And that Moses, in the end it says, Moses finished the work. Well, it's important that we recognize that this was the way, uh, this is the way of writing at this time, that in this day, whoever was in charge of the project would be, have set, would be said to have done it. But there's no way that Moses did all of this construction solely on his own, right? He was probably he probably didn't lift anything on his own. Um, he's a pretty old man at this point, uh, but he led the construction, right? He led the actual assembly of the uh, tabernacle elements, and uh, we we know that many of these elements couldn't even be lifted alone, couldn't be carried alone. In the Ark of the Covenant, for one, um, required four. Uh, priests to carry, and so none of m- most of these things had to have multiple people. So this is a a group project where they're they're all doing this, but Moses is leading it, and he is making sure everything gets put in place exactly the way that God wanted it. So then we have the tabernacle finally standing right, with all the elements in place, just as God had commanded them. And now we come to the moment of truth, where they have to ask and consider: w- Would God actually move in? What a moment of anticipation of saying wow, we've, we did this all, we've consecrated everything, we've anointed everything with oil, we've burned the incense, this, this new fragrance is filling the tabernacle, this unique signature fragrance of God is filling the tabernacle, the, in, the, the anointing oil that had its own scent was now filling the tabernacle, it was all set up, everything brand new, um, everything anointed, everything ready, now is God actually going to show up? Is God actually going to show up? And that's a question that, that we have to ask all the time, right? Is God actually going to show up 
in our lives? Is God actually going to move when we need him to move? If we do everything that we are supposed to do, if we're faithful and obedient to what God has asked of us, is he going to show up for us or not? Well, this is something that that I've had to, to learn and struggle with and something that I had to deal with a lot in the beginning of my ministry. When I, when I started in ministry, I was 20 years old, and, and I was a, a, the youth pastor here at Discovery Hills. And, um, and one of the things I struggled with, especially back then, was uh, I would get everything ready for a Tuesday night youth group meeting, and, and then I would just I'd have this moment of anxiety of going, is anybody going to show up? You know, and, and back then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so old that at this point when I started ministry, I couldn't even text anybody and see, you know, or, hey, you showing up tonight? Um, I couldn't really contact anyone directly. I'd make some phone calls maybe, but, but sometimes the kids wouldn't be home. And so it would just kind of be this moment of going like, okay, God, I, I've done everything. I've prepared my, my lesson. I've prepared some games. I've prepared, you know, food or snacks or whatever, and like, Who's going to show up? And am I going to get the big numbers that I want? Am I going to get a lot of kids tonight? It'd be this moment of anxiety. And what I learned through that um, and, and through working through that was that, that God was always going to show up regardless of how many kids showed up. That, that he always had something in mind for the evening. And that oftentimes, the nights when, when we have a, a smaller group of kids, more powerful things would happen. That, that God would allow me to have moments of connection with kids um, that, that wouldn't have been possible if I had a, a whole bunch of kids. That God always had something in mind for each and every night that I was faithful, that I showed up, that I was ready, that I had prepared uh, for this night. God would show up, that if I was faithful, he would be faithful. And so I encourage you in that as well, that, that trust that God will show up if you show up. That if you show up, God will show up in a powerful way in your life. That, that if you're faithful and obedient to him in whatever it is, whatever you're, you're looking for, whatever you want to happen, maybe you're looking for a, a promotion, maybe you're looking for uh, a relationship, friendships even, or a, you're, you're single and you're looking for that significant other, that if you continue to be faithful to what God has asked you to do, you continue to keep your eyes focused on him and not on yourself, not on the things around you, if you keep yourself focused on him, that if you show up for God, he'll show up for you. Maybe not in the way that you expect. I'm not saying it's a magic formula to get what you want. But if, but if we show up, God will give us what he wants for us. And what he wants for us is best. And if we can trust in that, he'll show up for us in a powerful way. Just as he's going to for these Israelites, where they, they do everything that he, they, he asked them. They do it exactly the way he told them to do. And, and he's going to show up. Let's get to this. So now we finally come to culmination, the final chapter final section of our chapter here today verses 34 through 38 then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle the people of Israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of Yahweh was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was on it in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Imagine how excited the people 
must have been when they saw this happen. After all they'd been through, after all the past year had been from their leaving Egypt to constructing the tabernacle and finally putting it up to see God fill the tabernacle. It would have been put in the center of camp, right? The, the tabernacle was to be constructed in the center of camp. There are camp, campsites all around, there, there are tents all surrounding it. And now finally, the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. But they weren't able to enter it, right? Even Moses wasn't able to enter it. Um, and we might ask, why wasn't Moses able to enter the tabernacle? Why couldn't Aaron and, and Moses, why couldn't they go in? Well, God's presence was there in such a powerful way, right? This was, a, this was such a filling that it was, it was fully taking out. God was moving in. He was fully moved in. His glory was filling the tabernacle. It was so powerful that they could not even enter. Eventually, of course, Moses, Aaron, and the priests are able to enter, but at this moment, uh, something special is happening. God's presence is filling it in a brand new way. His glory was fully inhabiting the tabernacle. <clears throat> so we see then that this new pattern gets established that whenever the, the cloud is lifted up, they're ready to move. That God would let the Israelites know it was time to move on by lifting his presence from the tabernacle. They would have to um, deconstruct it, transport it, and reconstruct it every time they moved camp. And this would be the time when, when most of the Israelites got to see the elements that, of the inside of the tabernacle. Most of the time, they were not able to go in. But they would deconstruct it. They'd transport it and take a lot of guys to, to move this thing. And, and they would move it every time they moved camp. And they learned to follow God. They learned to move when he moved. They only moved when he moved. And, and that creates a question for us as well. As we see how the Israelites respond to this, they only move when he moves. They only do what he's doing. Um, and Jesus modeled this behavior in, in John chapter 5, verse 19. Uh, it says this, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So Jesus was talking about how he personally did ministry, right? That, that he only moved when he saw God the Father moving that he was watching, he kept his eyes on God the Father, and whatever he was doing, that's what Jesus would do. And that's what we see the Israelites doing here, right? They're watching the tabernacle, seeing, is God telling us it's time to move or not? That probably wasn't always when they wanted to move. There were probably times when they thought the food was scarce or the water was running low or they were just ready to move on. They were feeling anxious, um, but they, they always waited to see when God would tell them to move. And there might have been sometimes when, when they felt comfortable and they didn't want to move. They thought, hey, there's lots of good food here. Our, our herds have lots to graze on. There's a great water source. Let's just stay here. This seems like a good place to be. And God would lift the t that cloud and they would have to move. The same thing is true in our lives. There are times when, when we want to do something. We want to take that next step. And God is saying, no, not, not yet, not yet. I know you're uncomfortable here, but you need to stay. And then there are times when we don't want to move, when we feel like, hey, I feel comfortable, I feel good, I feel good about how my life is going, and God is trying to push you to go to that next thing, to take that next step. We have to be willing to, to go in his timing in both scenarios, both when we don't want to and when we'd really rather go, but he wants us to stay. That has to be something that's part of our lives, that we need to, to do what he wants us to do. 
Last thing we'll look at here is just the glory of God itself. That's really what the whole focus of this book has been about, has been about the glory of God. If we even go rewind all the way to when they're still slaves in Egypt and we go through all that with Pharaoh was to show God's glory over the glory of the gods of Egypt, that he was dominant, that he was more powerful, more glorious than those gods, that he could remove his people from the most powerful nation on earth at the time. Uh, That was to show his glory. All through these travels, it's been to show his glory, that he provides for his people, that he cares for his people, that his people will obey him, um, that he is powerful, he did miraculous things for them. Um, And then here, his glory fills the tabernacle. What a beautiful sight that must have been for them to see his glory filling the tabernacle. It's all been about his glory. The people had invested a great amount of time and and a great amount, amount of wealth, right? We looked at last time in today's dollars, millions of dollars to build this tabernacle. The finest of all of their goods were put into the tabernacle. They had put all these things in. What did they get for their investment? What did they get for all their work? They got the presence of God in their camp, and they got the glory of God. That's really what they got. They got God himself dwelling with them. And that, again, creates a question for us of do we put on invest our time? Do we invest our treasure? Do we invest our talent to experience these benefits? Is that enough for us? Is the presence of God, is the glory of God enough for us? Is that what we truly desire? Well, I'll tell you this. Even if it's not what we truly desire, it's what we truly need, and it's what we truly want, even if we don't realize it. Even if we don't realize that's what we want most of all, it is actually what we want most of all. And if we can realign ourselves with God's priorities and put him as our top priority, as the thing that we desire most, we will be more satisfied. We will be satisfied in him if we truly allow ourselves to desire him most of all. And we can ask him to put aside these other desires. We can ask him to take these desires away from us that we might desire his, him more, that we might desire his presence in our lives, his glory manifest in our lives more than anything else in this world. It's what they got and it's what we desperately need. We'll wrap it up with this. How should we then live? Number one, we can be intentional about following God's plan instead of your own. Right? We can be intentional about thinking, what, what does God want for this situation? Can I intentionally put aside my plans, my desires, my rights for what God wants for me? Number two, we can have faith that God will show up if we show up. If God, if you'll show up, if you'll be obedient, if you'll be faithful, you'll continue to stick by him, he'll show up for you. I promise that. I can't promise that you'll get exactly what you're asking for, but I can promise that you'll get what you most need, what you uh, most truly desire, which is him. That he'll show up for you if you show up for him. And then third, you can seek to move only when and where God moves. You can ask God, I only want to do what you're doing. I only want to move when you move. I only want to do whatever you have for me. And if we pray in that way, if we ask him, he will honor that desire. When we ask God to, that we want to obey him more, he'll honor those desires in our hearts. That he, that's what he wants from us. He wants us to be his children. And that's what we want from children, right? Of course, is that, is that desired obedience, not begrudging obedience, not 
a half-hearted, uh, you know, sneaking around trying to get away with what we can get away with because the, you know, we see the parent as, um, as unfair or unloving or something like that. But, but we want our children to desire to follow us, desire to do what we want them to do because we know what's best for them. God's the same way. We're his kids. We're his children. He loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us. And he, he just wants our hearts. And so as we give our hearts to him, as we ask him to, to know his plan so that we can follow it, if we're faithful and continue to wait for him to show up, if we tell him, I only want to move when you want to move, he'll honor those desires. Those are, the, those are prayers that I can promise he answers. In just a minute, we're going to take communion, remembering how much he loved us and that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. We'll remember his broken body and shed blood. Uh, we'll have some music where you have time to, to gather your elements, to um, prepare your hearts, and then we'll come back and take communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been able to study this journey of the Israelites through, um, through all of these trials, God, over the, the course of the book of Exodus. Uh, through their, their escape from Egypt, to then their, their beginning steps, their baby steps with you, God, where they're learning to follow you, where they're messing up just like we mess up, but then continuing to return to you. And God, we see here at the end of this book such a glorious moment where your presence comes and dwells with them. And God, we are so thankful that your presence dwells with us, that you actually dwell within the hearts of believers, that those who call you Savior and Lord are indwelled with your Holy Spirit that you're with us always. God, may we not take advantage of that. May we not take that for granted. God, we pray that we would set our plans aside that we might follow your plans. We pray that we might continue to be faithful and obedient to you and trust that you will show up for us. And we pray that we would only move when we see you moving, God. We only want to go where you're going. We don't want to go anywhere that you're not going or do anything that you're not doing. So reveal yourself to us, God. Show us your glory. Make your presence manifest in our life. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.